Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. This is your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Say It Now Week starts tomorrow. It is indeed a pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And today we celebrate the life of a man who has certainly made his mark in football, both as a player and as a coach. You know him as Rodney Eade. A lot of people know him as Rocket, and that's how I know him. Hello, Rocket. (laughs) Hello, Peter. How are you, mate? I'm good. You're looking well. Yeah, feeling good. Um, yeah, all refreshed and uh, uh, still trying to stay fit and um, trying to get my hair to grow back. But other than that, it's all going well. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> it doesn't work, apparently. No. <laughs> um, does the burden of not being a senior coach in the AFL all of a sudden make life a little bit easier and all of the things that go along with it, not having that? Um, yeah, for sure it does. I mean, you probably went to... When you're in it, you, you realise the stress and pressure, but you don't realise uh, the cumulative effect of it, I suppose, even though it's a, it's a great job and I uh, really enjoyed being involved in it. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah that, that stress and pressure's all gone. It's, you know, obviously an impact on the family as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a good time and I really enjoyed it. There's no on-off button, really, is there, when you're a senior coach? It's basically 24-7. It is a bit, yeah. Um, I had an ability to put it in its compartments, um, where it needed to be at times. So generally, on a we played it Friday or Saturday. On a Sunday, you could try and divorce yourself as much as possible and keep life as normal as possible. Having said that, it always infiltrated at some stage. You're always doing the phone's always on, and uh, there's always things to do on the computer or work or look at games and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it tried experience probably helped a bit to, towards the end to try and relax as much as you can. When it came to your last coaching stint in the big time up on the Gold Coast, how much autonomy did you have as a, a senior coach or did you feel as though there were some factors that were trying to interfere with what you did? Oh, no, mostly. Uh, no, there wasn't interference as such. Uh, it was more trying to everyone be on the same page and trying to work together. Um, no, it was a big, and as we're seeing now, it's a, you know, it's a big task and it's a, a lot of uh, things that need to uh, uh, go forward and progress and uh, improve on. But uh, I think the main thing there was you, you have to prioritise and it was as much trying to get the culture right and uh, get the players on the page of being professional and uh, working the right way, which I think that was achieved by the end and uh, it was one thing that they acknowledged as a club. But uh, there's another phase of that culture. There's still some resilience and some things that they need to do and um, obviously they've got the rough field issues as well as whether supporter base or memberships and uh, money coming in. So, um, no, they're certainly going to be a long haul. 
What about those off-field issues that the Gold Coast had? And it's been well documented now and the Carmichael Hunt era and the influence that he had over some of the players. Did you see the lingering effects of that when you were up there? Yeah, the Carmichael Hunt uh, episode came to the forefront, which obviously through the police uh, was at the start of my time. Obviously, Carmichael finished the year before. Um, Yeah, you saw a... I don't know whether it's his influence, so put that aside, but there were certainly players um, probably enjoying themselves off-field, maybe at the wrong time. Um, You certainly don't mind players enjoying themselves, but it was probably affecting their... Uh, preparation and uh, their, no, their professionalism to, uh, the, I suppose, the task at hand. Um, so I was just trying to realign them and, and, and redirect them what's expected of, of AFL players and how hard it is and uh, how hard you need to work. It's just not going to turn up just because you're supposed to have talent. You're not, uh, uh, if you're being told that, you know, you're a highly drafted kid and you're going to be a star, that it's just going to happen. You know, you're going to get fitter, faster, stronger, and therefore you're going to be a good player. So it's just changing the mindset of a few. Um, now, there was quite a few who were really professional and uh, worked really hard and then was just trying to get the group to all buy into that, which was a which was a slow process. You're surprised about the Tom Lynch situation, Rocket, or did you think it was almost inevitable? Um, I'm not surprised he, he left or is leaving. Um, I think he, he's actually copped a fair bit of criticism in the press, which I think is unfounded. Like he, out of all the players that left, he's lasted the longest. He's probably invested the most out of anyone that's been there and been very loyal and is a terrific person. And to cop the flack that he's copping, I know probably Nathan Buckley spoke out of school and probably regretted that. Nathan has mentioned that. So that probably threw Tom under the bus a bit. And um, um, it's probably unfortunate. But... I think it was probably the success of the of the club, and that was the main driver. And I think if they at any stage, whether it's last year or this year, shown some uh, tendency to push towards finals, I'm confident enough that he really would have considered staying. And um, and and I still think it would have been with a heavy heart because he has invested and he's been captain. But with uh, whether on the ladder at the moment, no, I think Tom's looking at his footy career and. He wants to taste some final success or play finals footy. What is it about the Gold Coast as a place? It's a very different place because it's not a, a capital city in a state. No. It's almost a regional city. And it's had this jinx almost with sporting teams, with big sporting franchises that yeah, none of them has ever been successful. successful. Yeah, it's, it's Can a, you put your finger on that? No, I can't. Um, people from afar will throw up because of uh, Service Paradise and the Strip and all that. But I, I class Service Paradise like a capital city. Nobody goes there. Players don't go there. They live out and it's... Try and say, back to your point, it's not a capital city, but try and view it like that. It's 600,000 people on the Gold Coast. So it's a big town. It's the sixth biggest area in Australia. So people live in the suburbs. Um, people say it's the weather. Well, I think the weather's an advantage as such because of the recovery and close to the water and it's a good lifestyle. Um, people say it distracts... Uh, young men, but yeah, look at Melbourne nightlife. I mean, that can distract young men, whether it's Perth, Sydney, Adelaide, or Melbourne. And there's plenty of spots to go to, and probably more. So I don't think that's an issue. It's um, why teams have failed. I know it's been basketball, it's been soccer, it's been rugby league, it's been AFL. Um, don't know. Um, and I suppose how you measure it, it's obviously team success is one, then it's membership. Um, AFL 
as such. People move there from Victoria, South Australia, and even Western Australia, but they don't move there for football. They are passionate about footy, but they're moving there for lifestyle or for the children and whatever the case may be. So they're not totally uh, passionate about the football there, but they will go at times, I think. Uh, So that's one area. Um, um, But why it hasn't succeeded football-wise or basketball-wise or soccer-wise, I'm not... Really, I don't think it's the area. I think maybe it's the setup, how it's done, and I maybe each team that's gone there. And I don't know, speaking from experience with um, rugby league or basketball, or soccer, where they just transplanted there, and it's the the main body, the main organisation hasn't supported them the right way. I'm not too sure whether the people running organisations haven't been the right people. I'm not too sure. Last word on the Suns: Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Do you think that they'll make a go of it eventually? <clears throat> Or is it turning into a money pit? Well, that's going to be an interesting question. When, when I suppose, how long is a piece of string? When, when does the money justify what's happening on field? And I suppose the main matrix is going to be the success on field. Like GWS, probably costing as much money and probably got less members, but are doing okay on the field. So that seems to be, obviously... And I think Gold Coast are probably converting more kids and there's probably more involvement in AFL at junior level because of the Suns uh, being on the coast. So how do you measure that? So all those, they're probably maybe in front, but everyone's leaving GWS alone because of um, their success on the field and that's good on them. I, I hope they do well. But getting that success on the light at the end of the tunnel, I think there will be, if it, but it's going to be long. It's a long tunnel at the moment and there's probably, probably people aren't seeing light, but... Uh, if they get it right, they draft correctly and uh, they can keep players um, and, and actually develop. So there's a few elements to it there, that, that there could be and there should be, but it might take time. The Gold Coast is a vastly different place to Tassie, where it all began for you. It's a long time ago, mate. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tell us the memories of you growing up with footy. Um, yeah, yeah it was all, in my era, my day, there was only... People played a lot of other sports, but it was really only football and cricket yeah. um, as such and uh, played both. My dad was heavily involved in both sports, representing the state in both sports. And um, uh, so the football-wise, yeah, I was always passionate about it and collected the Scanlon's bubblegum cards and mm. took stats and all those sort of things. So There was always that smell about the Scanlon's bubblegum yeah, cards, yeah, wasn't, wasn't there? Yeah. When, you, when you opened it up, that smell was like no other. It was a big lure, wasn't it? You put those, <laughs> put those strips of gum into your mouth and use them as mouth guards. Yeah, so used to buy the Footy Week and uh, Footy Life was, I think it was in that in those days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, the VFL as it was then was uh, it was only a replay of a quarter of two games, and that's all you saw in those days. And the local team was Glenorchy that I followed. Then my dad uh, coached in the amateurs uh, for a period of time, so that was my. Football upbringing, every Saturday I go and watch uh, university play. Um, imagine what students were like in those days, in the late 60s, early 70s. Martin Flanagan was one that was involved in that mm. football club in those days. Um, and that were really fond memories. I really enjoyed uh, that involvement and still see some of those players today, sort of, um, uh, which is interesting. Um, every now and then catch up. Uh, and then um, when I was uh, play, uh, playing school footy, obviously, and then played Glenorchy under-17s for a few games when the school team didn't make the finals and the next year played in the the thirds, Glenorchy third. So that was my first foray into local footy, if that's the right phrase. Daryl Sutton was coach, who was uh, back from North Melbourne, was playing in the seniors and uh, 
had some uh, you know some good players. We won the premiership that year, and some players that went onto the VFL. Graham Fox played it. It was a star as a kid and played South Melbourne. And uh, his brother Wayne played at Footscray, and Lindsay Barwick played a couple of games at Footscray. Roland Curley probably should have gone to the VFL. Was a good player. Danny Ling ended up being a star. Probably should have gone to the VFL. So there were some really good players that played in that team, and uh, I was fortunate. And then next year, from my first senior year at Glenorchy, at seventeen, the great Peter Hudson was coach. So um, uh, he didn't uh, had a, probably the hardest preseason I've ever done. God, he flogged us. Oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> had an area called Spew Hill. He'd take us out there and that many bikes would be throwing up. And, and um, of course, Peter didn't do it. Um, he wasn't playing at that stage. And he got a clearance from Hawthorne probably just before clearance was closed. So it may be late May, June, I'd imagine. And uh, so he played the rest of the year, was coach, and Daryl Sutton was, was captain. Through Peter recommended uh, to Hawthorne, I think Daryl Sutton had spoken to North Melbourne. North Melbourne, I think, come and watch me play one day. But I mustn't have touched it. I must. Have, they never spoke to me. So, Hawthorne <laughs> was the only one that approached me, and uh, and then I chugged off the next year to um, um, to actually do process. I didn't go to the January because I was playing cricket and played district cricket since I was fourteen, and uh, played in under nineteen carnivals. And uh, there was an under nineteen carnival uh, early January, so I said I wanted to play in that. Uh, uh, which was in Perth, and uh, great David Boone was playing in that as well. So I played with David, and uh, and then came back, played one game for my home team, uh, Newtown, and then went to Hawthorne, and uh, went to school and uh, did Year Twelve and over there in Melbourne as well. So it was an interesting time. And it was the start of a remarkable journey, which eventually involved six hundred and thirty-six games of AFL footy as a player and a coach. And we'll explore <laughs> some of those games when we come back on the other side of the break. Rodney Ede is my guest on this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives, and we'll have more with Rocket after the break. This is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Say It Now Week starts tomorrow. And the great Rodney Eid is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life this week. Rocket, you spoke about um, footy and cricket before the break. Did you have to make a choice? Because you were a pretty handy cricketer, weren't you, as a young fella? I always thought that cricket would be my go because um, I'd played district cricket at, at such a young age and uh, at under-16 footy level, I didn't make the, the Tasmanian under-16 team, which was a big disappointment at the time. So I always thought cricket was going to be uh, where I was at. I was a lot of, lot of state junior teams and uh, made the senior uh, at 17, the senior southern team, going to play the northern team and played the state Colts and a whole range of different things. So I always thought cricket was going to be it. And I'd, I'd imagine in hindsight, if Hawthorne hadn't approached me, I hadn't gone to the VFL that year, I would have gone to England to probably probably home skills and with the view that we knew Tassie was going to come into the Sheffield Shield soon. And um, um, and that was where my aspirations were, I suppose. And um, so when I went to Melbourne, that was it, it was probably the decision. I, I went, Richmond Cricket Club got in touch with me, so I played a year, um, my second year, so in the Start of ninety, I started seventy seven, end of seventy six. Uh, played a year of seconds cricket with them. Higgs was playing and Yallop and a really strong club. Uh, but the choice really came when preseason, uh, when practice matches started, and I thought, no, nah, that's my choice. I've, that's what I want to do. So, um, yeah, I dropped cricket then and just played a year the next year with a mate from school over in Melbourne. 
played with his local club, and that was about it. And then, and, and then cricket finished. But, yeah, the decision was made for me, really. So you find yourself at Glen Ferry Oval. You come over, you walk into a change room with some of the biggest names in footy. What sort of experience was that like for a young fella from Tassie? <laughs> it's so long ago, you don't really remember because you've got such great memories of the club and the involvement, how long I was there and the people involved. But uh, um, all I really remember was a few practice matches, which was a bit daunting. Um, you knew the superstars, but you probably didn't know a lot of those because there wasn't a lot on telly as such. Um, but uh, it was the daunting John Kennedy. Um, I got so many... He only coached me the one year, and uh, but so many great stories about him and... And quite funny ones, really. Um, he, his oratory skills and his, uh, the way he thought about football and um, people talk about... Oh, the millennials just wouldn't cope with John and uh, they love feedback, mainly only positive feedback. They don't like any room for improvement feedback. But John treated everyone the same. He didn't talk to any player, so he never got any feedback. You <laughs> <laughs> just got on with the job and you just did what you were told and, uh, uh, and mainly the players. It was interesting... We talk about the leading teams process or the feedback we, we get now or the culture development and all that sort of thing. Hawthorne had that, I mean, the playing group, but it was so raw and it was no training. They just hit you between the eyes if you weren't going hard enough or you weren't training hard enough or whether you just got it from everyone. So it was really um, quite an open feedback system that they had in those days. So, um, And that was the thing that struck me, that the physical aspect of it and uh, the, you know, the toughness of the players and the, and the way we went about it. But... Um, like like anything, you know, I I was at school, so I had to get a a train, I had to get a bus to the train station, then get a train to Glenfrey Oval, and then get a ride home after training. I didn't have a car, I didn't have a license. And um, Brian Cook, who's a CEO of uh, Geelong, he used to take me home. He was playing at Hawthorne at the stage, so he'd give me a lift home quite a few times. So that, all, all those memories are quite good memories. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. Do you look back at people like Bobby Skilton, the greats of the game, who played in one final in his career? And think how blessed was I. Nine games in here, I experienced the premiership, the ultimate in football. Yeah. And yet Bobby went through his career with the three Brownlows, admittedly, but team success avoided him. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you do at the time when you're 18. Um, you just uh, plough on. And people tell you that. And I, I'm a big one for historical facts. I knew all that. And I suppose Robbie Flowers, another one. Yeah. And, and, you, and you feel for him. You do. And then you hear, I was fortunate to play in four, but some players played in two, and they're both on the bench. Mario Bortolotto, uh, one. Um, so players have done that and started on the bench and hardly got a run. They played premiership. So th- they're extremely lucky as well. So is it fair? Well, it's just the way footy is, unfortunately. Um, and you feel for Bobby Skilton, you really do. But uh, um, yeah, I, but to answer your question, yes, I do feel very lucky to be able to do it. It was an extraordinary era, Rocket. You played in four of the four premiership teams, which one do you think was the best Hawthorne team that you played in that won a flag? Um, either 83 or 86. Uh, we won 83 reasonably easy. Um, 86 gave me the most pleasure, uh, personally. So I'd say that because in 85 I was dropped to the grand final. Um, and I played in the preliminary final and got votes in the media and votes in the best and fairest and got dropped. So I still to this day, I can't really explain that. And I was filthy and dirty and, and played in the seconds grand final and uh, for the life of me, still don't understand why. But 
Um, but you move on. You know, coaches make decisions what they think, of, and you understand that while you're you know, you're coaching as well. So that gave me a different bent on it. Um, so to come back in '86, and was dropped once during the year as well. But uh, to do that and then uh, play in the premiership and play well on the on the grand final day probably gave me the most satisfaction. So here you are, one of the greats of the Hawthorne, Hawthorne Football Club. You win four premierships. How did you find yourself a Brisbane Bear? <laughs> it's uh, an interesting one because, as I mentioned, I got dropped in 86. Then 87 uh, got dropped for the final series. Um, played one final and then got dropped. And I think ego kicks in. Uh, Brisbane Bears, Shane O'Sullivan and, and Nietzsche was coach at Brisbane. So they'd spoken to me and I thought, yeah, I've got more senior footy in me. I want to want to play consistent senior footy. So they spoke to me and I found that uh, appealing to go there. Um, they'd already been going a year. Um, and in hindsight, it's the worst footy decision I've made. Um, Why is that? Well, the next year, Hawthorne, they went, they went back to back. Not saying I would have got in the team, but it gives you an opportunity and you go to the Bears and you struggle and, uh, as a team. But it's, uh, it's the best career move I made because I would never have coached. Um, so, so you didn't have the burning desire to coach. No, I didn't. Up no. until that time, people, players had said to me, "Oh, you'll coach one day." And I was very, even though I was a a bit of a smarty pants and jokester and all that sort of thing, I, I wasn't comfortable talking publicly. So I, I didn't really want to do it. So, and to my chagrin and regret, I, I threw, threw David Parkins' notes out. It was very. Uh, affluent on the thoughts on footy and keeping that and I was trying to convince myself I'm not going to coach so and then um, go to Brisbane and uh, as luck would have it it's all the sliding doors isn't it it's and everyone's got one of those I've probably had a couple in my life but uh, um, Skase in charge Skase goes overseas new owners uh, Paul Feltham became coach then he gets moved on in the February Norm Dare becomes coach becomes coach they got no money they got the seconds in the AFL, the VFL competition. Um, so Norman, to his credit, said, oh, I want, I'd like a senior player to coach the seconds to help their development. Now, that wouldn't happen today because, and I'll explain in a minute, but so it was between Mark Williams and myself, and we both did it together for a while. And then the board said they only wanted one, so it ended up being me. I put my case forward why I didn't want to do it, and Mark did as well. He just wanted to concentrate on footy, and so did I anyway. Mark stepped aside and I, I I did it myself. So I was playing, so I was coaching to three-quarter time in the seconds and then go down to prepare for the seniors, which is archaic, really. I mean, it's just... Yeah. But it's a sliding door moment and uh, as fortune would have it, I, I did a medial ligament about round five, so able to coach for the next 10 weeks, then came back and was probably the only time in my career happy to play in the seconds. So captain coach as such and direction and educating and a uh, whole range of... And played the last game of the year as a as a token, I suppose, to as the, as the end is retiring. So um, that's how I got my start. And as a seconds coach, like an assistant coach, there's no pressure on you. It's pretty easy, really, to be, to be honest. And then um, um, the second year, when I, I coached the next year, Wolsey came. And uh, again, a sliding door moment, I suppose. Um, Rob made a decision he was just going to play kids. So a few of the older players came back the seconds. And we in the seconds, uh, that was about the last six weeks. So we're just in the finals, I think. And then their, their experience coming back, we able to win the grand final. So that sort of gave it uh, my name a bit of impetus, I suppose, more than anything. 
We'll talk when we come back on the other side of the break about after the apprenticeship of coaching reserves teams and then going to the big time, as you mentioned, to Sydney and taking them all the way to the grand final. That coming up with Rodney Eade on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives and more coming up with Rocket after the break. This is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Say it now week starts tomorrow. What a pleasure it is to have Rodney Eade as my guest in the studio. Rocket, we spoke about the fact that you walk into uh, the great Hawthorne team and you play in the Premiership in your first year. Well, you take the reins of Sydney in 1996 and you get all the way to the big dance. Must yes. have been doing something, right? Uh, well, after the... Um, after the uh, Best thing I went to North Melbourne for three or four years, which which really helped being under uh, being under Dennis, and uh, and then having the last year coaching the seconds, then going to Sydney. So it's interesting stepping into a coaching job, um, and as people do today, it's the only job in the world where you don't have any experience. So we get CEO of an organisation, they get it when they're forty five, fifty. Um, coaching in the NFL, they've already coached college football, or they've been in charge of their own little team at. Uh, coaching um, a defensive unit so for a long period of time. So we, we, you get thrust into it. So I'd had a fortunate coach my own side a couple of times. That helped to a degree, but you're still not running the club. You're still not doing everything. So you're learning on the spot a bit. Um, and I had one assistant coach, which is Damien Drum. Uh, so how things have changed. Uh, didn't have analytics or many stats were taken by hand. Um, now the honourable member, yes, Damien Drum. Yes, yes. Um, he's the, um, what do they call the... Uh, counts the votes and does it get whip the, the whip, whip the whip yeah. the whip and um, um, uh, then um, a whole range of different how, how footy's changed so so drastically um, but I really yeah enjoyed it. so I was naive in many ways but because I had different ideas I wanted to implement um, things worked out okay now we started poorly um, I lost my first game by eighty points in Adelaide uh, and then the second game we lost a Fremantle. At home, which nobody lost a free man on those days, and so it was. A, it was a tough initiation. It was a tough initiation, and uh, so how did you manage to get that team all the way to a grand final? Yeah, we didn't lose many more games after. I think we won sixteen and a half the year. So there's eighteen and a half. So we only lost another uh, another three. What changed after those early losses? Yeah, it's next game, as luck again, we're playing Richmond. Uh, Wolsey was coach of Richmond. And um, it was a tough, tight game. And we were in front. And then Matthew Richardson kicked a goal and Andrew Dunkley staged a bit. Got a bit of a push. And no, someone kicked a goal and Matthew Richardson pushed him in the back. So he got a free kick on the line, Dunks, and then we were able to win the game by three points. Uh, no, sorry, that was, a, that was the second. The game before Collingwood, we were five goals down at the quarter time. And I'd always had this thought of um, defending... If a guy, and when I was at school, how you could fill the space in front, just don't be man on man. And then West Coast, Jakovic would mark the ball and always kick it laterally, you know, generally, and their half-backs are always by themselves. So just players to come up a line. So if it marked its half-back, the full forward line come up equal with the man on the mark or the player with the ball, and everyone then push back a line. So that was the thought. We'd done a bit of work on that. And then, you know, this Collingwood game, the players did that, but they did it en masse, and all of a sudden we're flooded. And then Mikko Lachlan said, after one, he's down in the back 50. And all of a sudden, I can remember Nathan Buckley get the ball and all of a sudden he just sees a swarm of Swans players. And we're able to 
turn that around from five goals down. We ended up winning the game. The next game was against Richmond. We we win that by a couple of points. We were lucky. Um, then we drew against Essendon. Um, then the next, we just got on a roll. The players got some confidence. We didn't have many injuries. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just started to started to take the game on more. And with players getting behind the ball a bit more, we're able to open up space for plugger. Um, players came with us. Uh, the defenders came with us. We were able to open the game up. So we defended okay the, by the time taken, be able to score, obviously, through Tony. So 23 years on, we should blame you for all the clogging and the congestion that's going on. <laughs> My flood was a little bit different, but... Um, <laughs> uh, but players have got fitter and they can get up and back and that now. But uh, certainly our, our players were probably a bit more stationary behind the ball. It's a wonderful thing to reach a grand final as a coach. What's it like to be a losing coach in a grand final? How long does that stay with you? Um, I was okay about it because I was fairly philosophical. We remember the, the game before when Pluggers kicked the point after the siren. It was a very physical game. I know Essendon had four or five players who probably couldn't have played the next week. We had two players going to the grand final with broken ribs, um, put a block on them, Jason Mooney, Stuart Maxfield. And we had a couple of other sore players. So I thought we had to be in front at halftime by a bit. Then Craig O'Brien got his cheekbone, his eye socket smashed in, and Glenn Archer was playing on him. So they put Glenn Archer then to Troy Luff, who was playing extremely well. So that was a changing of the guard, a little bit change of the game. Um, there's a couple of things that happened. So when we got to half time, I thought... Well, we now we're in front by three points. We might have been down by three points. It was either way, and um, then I thought, oh, we're going to take a it's going to take a bit of effort here. So after the game, I was I was proud of their efforts that they you know they really they really dug in deep. And you know we just overrun by the better side. Um, that they were I think we finished on top. They might have finished half a game behind us, so it was pretty even. Uh, but they were a star-studded team, and and they certainly deserved to win. So. To answer your question, I was fairly philosophical about it, and uh, but knowing some areas that we needed to improve. Did you carry that same philosophical attitude when you got to the Western Bulldogs and again came close to the ultimate joys, preliminary finals and having the opportunity snatched away from you? Was that something that you were throughout your career, philosophical, what will be will be, or did you take it a bit harder than that? No, I didn't take it harder. I, I thought the effort... I think you take it harder... I, I, me, but whether others, if the effort's not there, you just or you get completely outplayed or smashed, and and uh, and you got no answers. It's more like that. Yeah, we could have won. We didn't take our chances, especially the second one. And we had some options, uh, had some real chances to score. We just weren't efficient, and then a couple of things went against us. And you think it was not the players' fault. I know they probably could have kicked goals, but I I, I couldn't be critical of their effort and. Uh, uh, both sides of that, we probably weren't the better side. Um, both years, I mean, eight and ten, we probably weren't. Um, but uh, yeah, not philosophical is not the right phrase. But I suppose realistic. You know, you put it in its context, what it is. You can't change the result. You look out of the learnings, out of where can we improve uh, a as a team, and is there any individuals we can improve, or b where are holes in the team that we need to correct. The longer you go on in your coaching career the more distance there is between your age and the young men that you're coaching. Did that become more pronounced with Gen Y as you got towards the end of your coaching career? Gen Y, the millennials as well. Um, um, people say that uh, because of the age. And, the, and it's like a player, oh, he's 32, he's got to retire. Well, you know, some players got to retire at 27. 
Some players, Michael Tuck or John Blakey or, 30, or Bradley are 36, 38. So the birth certificates are relevant, I reckon. Um, it's an easy out. Um, they are different. You just change the style. It's all about what outcome you want and how you want to educate and teach. And the teaching at the Gold Coast, Gold Coast Suns, what the way we did it, was so much different to what it's been done before. Um, um, I've probably been a fairly uh, strong coach with younger players because they don't know what they don't know. And I was probably wasn't as strong uh, at the Gold Coast. It's because they're different lads. They're, they're, they're brought up differently. They're different uh, mindsets. So it's, uh, but as I <laughs> facetiously mentioned before, they, they do like positive feedback. Mm. Um, they don't see a room for improvement as such that uh, they don't take that on board as well. So um, such being the case, is there a moment that stands out either at the Gold Coast or any one of your coaching jobs where you think, could have handled that differently. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And any coach who says that that's not the case is is lying uh, because human nature, when you've got so much interaction over, well, I don't know how many years, I've got 17 or something, of course there's going to be things you're going to say, oh, I learned over a period of time to always, because players misinterpret, misinterpret the way, you, and maybe it's the way you put it across at times. It's trying to get them to parrot back what they've heard, how they interpret that. So, yeah, there's always uh, some things you've said in meetings. And uh, now I learned over a period of time, rawness after a game, you say some emotive things that you go, ooh, perhaps I shouldn't have said that. So you, you, you learn from that. You don't say that as much as you go on. Not one that you would have taken back, but what's the best spray you've ever given? Because uh, talking to some of the players who played under you, you could be fairly forthright when you needed to be Rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, what's see, the what's see, the best one you handed out? See, I, I don't think of the the best sprayers in vitriolic or or hardness or whatever. I always think about a good spray where there's a bit of there ends up being some humour and, and not even direct. I don't mean it to be humour as such. It just but the Robert Murphys and the Daniel G and Syracuse are just come laughing. So oh, I like that. It was so those, those type of things. You now there's some. Things uh, you've given a spray to a group or a player that you probably regret. There's some that it's just theatre. It's just a bit of theatre to gee them up. And that's what happens most of the time. You pick your mark. Um, I just, uh, Rob Murphy always talks about that, um, um, and Cooney did a show the other other week with me as well, brought it up, that um, it was my first year at the Bulldogs and Daniel Bandy. It was a great fella, Daniel, great athlete, but he, he had not great peripheral vision and his footy... Uh, I footy now wasn't great. He was just an athlete who could, who could play a bit. And uh, we're playing at the MCG, and I thought we won, but Coons reckons we lost the game. Anyway, um, Daniel had it at centre-half back, inside the back 50, just near the, the arc, and he was clear, and then he sort of ambling along and got tackled, and they got a goal. So I'm going through some, some plays just so this is where we can improve. And I said, DB, I said, when you got tackled, I said, Ray Charles would have seen him coming. <laughs> that way, and I look at Murph, and Murph's pulling that face as if he's trying not to laugh, and <laughs> so things like that make make, make <laughs> a bit of laugh. Well, inevitably, when your career is six hundred and thirty odd games as a player and a coach, we're going to leave a lot out, and unfortunately, we're going to have to because time is on the wing. We'll take our final break, and I'll find out what you're doing now in football. Rocket Ede is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives and don't forget, you can give Tobin Brothers a call on 9373 7000 or visit tobinbrothers.com.au to find out more. 
This is your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Say It Now Week starts tomorrow. And it is our final segment with Rodney Ede on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Rocket, uh, you're coaching still, not in the big time. Where are you now? Um, yeah, I'm at a uh, local footy club in the Eastern Footy League, Baldwin, um, which uh, came about uh, that uh, I'm friendly with the president there who's part owner on the board of Melbourne Victory, a guy called Richard Wilson, and um, they had uh, uh, a change of coach, or coach moved on in January, and he asked whether I'd do them a favour and coach, and I put up all the negatives why I didn't want to do it, and uh, but I thought, oh yeah, okay, I'll help, and there was a thing to help with their set up of their academy and type thing. So um, doing that, enjoying that, yes, it's uh, going what's, okay. What's enjoyable about it? What's the uh, clearly a big difference from the big time? But what's Lack the, of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you enjoy that. You go, um, I wasn't looking forward to the middle of winter going on cold nights. Um, so it's only two nights a week, um, and that's probably the only downside. I enjoy the match day. The players are terrific um, uh, as far as Pretty tough mentally. They, you know, they, you ask them to for a challenge. You know, you challenge them, and they and they respond really well. They've been a successful club. Um, Do you things like video reviews and all that sort of? Yeah, thing? look, it's very. Yeah, the resources aren't great because the filming of the game is from a pocket, and you know, so there's not a lot. We haven't got the software package to do that. So, assistant coaches, myself, or might get it off YouTube of game. It's loaded, so. You're very limited to what you can do, and uh, so they're very limited in the opposition as well. Um, medical resources are limited. Um, no fitness coach. So there's, there's really a, uh, it really is suburban footy as such. Um, but everyone knows that. Um, and the physio I've got is is a good fellow, but he's not there all the time, so he's got his own business and a whole range of different things. So um, I enjoy the you know the camaraderie, um, educating, and teaching uh, part of it, the coaching part, which implementing things that they haven't seen before. They've probably seen on TV as such. Uh, so getting that uh, and getting the buy-in. So from that aspect, we've had a lot of injuries. Maybe I'm cursed. Um, so um, we lost 10 in two games there at one stage. And wow. We haven't got a, a feeder uh, underage, so we, we haven't got a lot of depth. So that's affected us a bit. But the players have stayed pretty tight. You know, they're a good group. So so certainly enjoyed that aspect of it. you got a dietitian there. Do they tell them not to eat pizza and drink beers after the game? Uh no, well, it mustn't be because they do do exactly that. <laughs> they crack a tin straight after the game. They're sitting there in the middle. So uh, so you've got to go with the mindset. You understand where they're at. That's not family's number one, certainly. Uh, work's number two. Um, and then footy's number three and maybe not three. Um, so you now they'll miss training a bit, some players with work. and So you've got to understand all this. Some nights we only have 20 on the track. Um, but that's it is what it is. So, um, you know, you've got to work that through and... Uh, you know, it's actually got a pretty good culture, so the, you know, the senior group drive it a bit. Just as we come to the end of our chat, Rocket, um, do you like the way football's progressing at the moment? There's been so much talk this season about the way the game's played, the way that we need to fix things. Are you in the camp of try different things to see whether it might fix stuff up, or are you in the camp of leave the rules alone, it'll evolve, and it's still a bloody good game? It is a good game, especially the last five or six weeks, and why that's happened, I, I, I don't really know. I still think congestion can be a problem. Um, I don't I don't like, I never like the look, and it's happened for seven, 10 years now. I don't like 36 and a quarter of the ground. That's to me. And teams 
if they want to, can really block it up to be a congestion game. It doesn't mean if we modify some things or change some things that means that you can't defend. It's just open that game up a bit. Um, I think some of the suggestions they had might have been a bit drastic, but um, I initially would do throw the ball up and boundary throw in quicker within six seconds. Don't have nomination ruck. I bring the boundary th- throw in in five metres, so therefore the ball's landing in play more. Um, and maybe be a bit tougher on holding the ball rule, so therefore there's less chance of packs. See how that goes, um, and that way you're not changing much. I don't mind the idea of starting points. So I mentioned that probably nine years ago. I don't mind the thought of that. Um, people say it's zones, not zones. We brought in a centre square 40, 45 years ago, and nobody said anything about that. That was to ease congestion at the centre bounce. So with starting points, you don't need to paint any more lines. People can go where they like. Um, it's just a matter of where they're starting at a stoppage. So I, I think that's the further step down the line. I wouldn't change interchange. Some people want to call that. I wouldn't change that because I think it'll eliminate some players out of the game. I think uh, be more blowouts as the, the the better skilled teams, when fatigue sets in, will actually cut teams open. Um, so that's, that's what I try. But I think we need to keep looking how we can modify things. People, I was on radio the other day and a young guy phoned in and said, why don't we just leave it alone and it's going to be the same as the 80s and 90s and 2000s? So I said, well, it's not. That's the point. The game has changed that much. It is not a game. It's not recognisable. It's not recognisable the way it was 15 years ago. And I think you can't take it back, but we can still open up a little bit at, at times and get the game because we like to see fluidity of the game. We want to see scores. We don't want to see 130 to 140. But 110 to 90 or 105 to 95 is about the range. You get a pretty good game and you can defend and there's physicality and there's some, there's some chances from scores. One last supplementary question. When you close your eyes and you think about all those 630-odd games that you're involved in, what's the moment for you? What is the moment of your involvement in footy? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I, mean, I haven't been asked that pointed on it, but... Uh, I suppose my playing sense is grand finals, maybe my last premiership. But probably the thing that sticks in my mind, much as anything, is the Tony Lockett point uh, for Sydney to uh, get the Swans into the grand final and the euphoria, not only at the ground, but the whole city. And I think that was a point where the Swans were accepted in Sydney. Um, there was belate, begrudging uh, acceptance before um, and even probably post that, that the rugby league media trying to undermine the Swans. But uh, I think that was, that was for me, is probably A, the club, but B, that transcends that, that the acceptance of AFL in the city. It's been a brilliant sporting life, Rocket. It could be that we were sitting here talking about you and your baggy green cap with the, <laughs> the ability that. that you had as a young cricketer, but I think you made the right choice. Um, you've been a marvellous player, brilliant coach and a great ambassador for the game, and it's been lovely to sit down and catch up with you for the last hour. Thanks, Peter. Great, uh, certainly great to see you again. So, terrific. Rodney E. joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And we'll have another edition of the program right here next week. Hope you can join us then. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.